dancers, you lucky little devils, you get a sneak peek at this week's podcast because we had a great conversation with Rudy on ChatGPT and then also at the end of this conversation, I had asked um, a handful of folks who we know are really actively using ChatGPT to just give, you know, that moment when they had that like moment of amazement or surprise and realized what it meant for them. And so we have about two or three of those after the conversation today. So listen to the end if you would. Um, I think you'll love the, you know, range of perspective. And then next week we'll also have a few more. So I hope you all are having a great time at Sundance. Wish I was there. And enjoy. I think it was... 13 or maybe 15 years ago, we wrote a piece called the history and future of asking questions. <laughs> and it had this amazing hockey stick chart. And if I don't remember what year you started the graph, but let's just say like the Renaissance or something like that. Oh, I think it was 2000 BC, actually. Okay. We started way 2000 BC. And then it goes along, you just, you kind of see this, you know, it's like a beautiful little stream floating along right close to the axis. And then all of a sudden hockey stick jumps up and you could, you could plot that in a few different ways, you know, with the printing press or um, the internet, etc. We talked about it a lot when search came along I just wanted to frame that up because we are still, I think, on that chart, right? The history and future of asking questions. But today we're going to talk about AI and ChatGPT. Um, and we have Rudy Carson here to to help us. But Pip, where how do you how do you think about AI on that graph? And what do you think some of the early experiences and implications are that we as investors want to be keyed into. It's really, I think, important to not try to categorize and oversimplify what's going on with AI yet to remain really, really open. So that's one of the goals of this conversation. Yeah. Wow. Boy, that was a lot just to get us going, Bryn, because literally what well, I think our goal is to flesh out some uncorrelated thinking here. And one of the one of the dangers is I was talking with Rudy yesterday and a month from now we'll want to delete and erase this like it never happened because at least half of what we're going to talk about here will seem so dumb, naive, ridiculous, foolish in a month, which is kind of a nature of which is fun and we won't delete it because it's going to be a great like little reflection. But literally yesterday, Bryn, it's almost like I'm I'm priding us in having uncorrelated thinking, but you and Rudy had the same thought about the history and future of asking questions yesterday. So maybe we have too many, maybe we're correlated as a group. So if we're uncorrelated, just imagine an un- sheep. Oh my God. So with that said, I, um, I, one of our, our friends said, you know, He's been, he has a lot of data background, a lot of vest back background. He's been, he said, I've been going down rabbit holes on chat GPT. And I said, well, are they really rabbit holes? Cause this is something. And he said, I, I agree with that. And I thought about that myself, but at the end of each week, it turns out that like two weeks later, the stuff that I thought that was valuable, wasn't valuable at all. 
And that's interesting from a business perspective because you have these small companies forming to use ChatGPT, but the business model can't really hold up because something's going to like supersede it like a month from now. And I was like, whoa, okay, this that's a mind twister. I was thinking where I was going to start, Bryn, is we wrote a piece of uh, about a month ago on the distinction between ChatGPT and the metaverse. And the metaverse is vague, very high in a change function standpoint, very high total perceived pain of adoption. And it's really hard to figure out the widespread crises. There are some, but the widespread here, we're going to give ChatGPT to 7 billion people, a ridiculously powerful tool with a very low TPPPA. So just watch like what happens over the next month, is, which is why half of what we're going to talk about here will seem utterly ridiculous. So... I don't know. With all that said, the phrase that I started thinking about this week, Bryn, is that in relationship to ChatGPT, currently these 7 billion people and every conversation a month from now at a dinner table or whatever is going to have ChatGPT in it, that we're moving at near pandemic pace. And the pace really does concern me. And I'm going to speak kind of light in a light tone, but that doesn't mean I think this is all light by any stretch. When I say near pandemic pace... I think of March 2020, April 2020, May 2020, and for 7 billion people, those were three very, very different experiences, all inside of a, a change of a month. Near pandemic, I think with ChatGPT, it might be three months, but it is going to affect 7 billion people. And we do like to think that we're very resilient as humans. And we sort of are, and we sort of aren't. One of the things that the pandemic did, the moving at this near tent pandemic pace, Bryn, it revealed mental unwellness. That very few people got through the pandemic at that pandemic pace, being sheltered in place, like the whole world's turned upside down. And yeah, we got through, but we also realized that all of us were subject to mental unwellness. So this is, this is to me, this is going to be a very, very serious time that we try to get through. But it's a huge rogue wave. There's no kind of skipping around it. I'll just see, uh, let me just drop in. Rudy, does anything of what I said so far tripwire you in any way? And then there's tons of other directions I want to quickly go through. I guess the only comment I would add to what you're saying and just basically reinforce it is, we always think this time is different. This time is different because of the speed. I think we will look back and say, and I like, I really liked the analogy used about COVID, and I would double down on that. The speed at which we're looking at, just from a rollout perspective, think about it this way. We're at chat GPT-4. There was a three and a half. And we're seeing real-time development taking place in front of the population with an unfinished product that is being updated. Like, I've, I've never seen anything like it before. Like, literally, in all my years in tech. And it's happening in days. It's, it's remarkable. So I, I would really double down on speed. That's it's happening really fast. And with the speed, I think of dynamism. So one of our clients just what day's today, Thursday, or so I think it was Monday, maybe, said, Hey, we're 
our directors of research are going to be getting together in June, and we thought we'd allocate a couple hours to ChatGPT and, you know, to make sure we're we're using it right. And our industry is going to be like at the lay at the a lagging end, but lagging end doesn't mean four years. <laughs> we can already see our friends like ratcheting up the pace of which they're playing with it. But anyway, that's, I said, you know, I think that's the way, wrong way of looking at this. This isn't a static tool like a new app, like an Excel spreadsheet. We want to make sure we're using it right or Bloomberg terminal. The thing itself is changing so fast that it's how do we get in a process to have a, maybe a, um, a pilot group or something like that, Bryn, a skunk works. Who are the people that will lean into this the most heavily that can keep figuring out great ways to use this. this isn't this isn't a one and done and because that group is going to get together at i think in the middle of june well whoa that's going to be a different answer than it would be today anyway because we're in the process of figuring i'm going to jump into a few human elements as if there's any non-human elements to talk about but a couple of things that go through my mind one is um in very very various conversations um, I think us humans do have a desire at the individual level and as a species to feel special in some way. And I think it's maybe more our undoing than our doing. Yeah, everything's different, et cetera. But I don't think whales are sitting out there and going, you know, we're special because we're really big. Or <laughs> but we really seem to be focused on it. We seem to be very threatened by the idea that computers might remove our specialness. And if we don't have specialness, we'll like cease to exist. I'm not sure what to do with that exactly, but other than to recognize that that leads us to sometimes wanting to fight against the computers <clears throat> as if this is a battle between us and the computers. When Douglas Engelbart, one of my heroes of technology in the mid 60s started the idea of human computer integration. Well. Wouldn't specialness also, could we substitute in salary or money? I mean, I think that's what is maybe, it could be specialness. It could just be way to make a living survival. I, I Well, I think you're right. I think there's sometimes <clears throat> the emotion is hidden by logic. Like the logic is, well, it's about creativity and getting together and these things are things. But this is really interesting because it seems like it it's pointed at the knowledge worker. And someone yesterday asked me, you know, what I think about my kids. And I said, well, one of my kids are, or what professions will be untouched? I think there's a gazillion that will be untouched. Like my, our son Tucker is in the hospitality industry. Like there's still going to be, I think, like places where human meets human, all those types of things. But this particular thing, and we saw it in 2016, <laughs> during the, first, the first automation scare at Sundance, that now we're kind of not knocking at the knowledge worker and the knowledge knowledge working economy sort of is an idea that I don't know who first coined it, but it was probably not before 1950 because the information age was is noted as starting in 1948 for people that are in that world. So now we have something that's like knocking at the, like the knowledge worker. So it's kind of coming to, you know, our home and how fast will it spread the people digging ditches and those types of things like, they're probably not thinking about this in the same way as like a lot of knowledge workers are, who are indeed our brethren. So I do think you'll hear a lot. I'm so glad you said that, Bryn. 
oftentimes Bryn and I and doing work with people will hear a very logical thought that actually masks an emotional feeling. And they sort of become straw men, but they, people hang on to that as opposed to just, I'm really scared about my job. What's this going to mean? Or I'll drop down into a little more of that just fairly quickly. You hear this thought about creativity. Um, humans, I think, have the capacity for infinite creativity. We talk about this a lot, but we don't really use it <laughs> because we also have a deep desire for certainty. And the, the ego is training us to be certain and to be careful and to protect ourselves and all that. And you can't really train for wild creativity, vast open mind. At the same time, you're like trying to lock things down. So we're actually, I don't think we're actually using much of our creativity muscle to begin with. Computers though, they don't have to protect themselves. So they are going vast and infinite. So if we want to play this game of us against the computers in quote unquote creativity, I think we'll keep losing. I mean, we lost a chest. We're going to keep losing and losing. Like, I don't think that's the thing we should be holding on to per se. Where I do think that some things are going to be really interesting is where at the pace at which this takes us to the mainstream study of the mind, which is our largest theme over the next 50 years. The mainstream study of the mind says, hey, we've only had modern psychology for about 50 years. The pandemic taught us about mental unwellness, I'll say. So that that is not just a, a, a thing for people who have problems, quote unquote, that's an issue for every person that is on the planet. And as we move towards the mainstream study of the mind, I think it, a world where five, seven years from now, 200 million people have AI psychologists is probably pretty likely. As I said this to one of my friends, he said, oh yeah, there's, you know, that's out on college campuses already where there's depression, there's high rates of suicide. There's like, like yeah, this isn't slowing down and there's not going to be some union that stops it or that type of thing. So a world where the mainstream study of the mind goes through AI psychologists is probably a world that leads us towards more interior thinking and less materialism, less you know, experiences as materialism and those types of things as just one vector. Rudy, you had this really interesting comment about um, the quality of questions and that since, you know, this tool and many others like it, we'll be able to do some of the beginning work and the more rote research that those who can ask questions with nuance and understand that and push the nuance seems like we'll will benefit and that will be like a really not emerging but an important human element and human specialty even to overlay all of this can you say more about the your thoughts on humans asking questions to these tools a little bit of context a great book written by Niebauer is no self no problem and what's interesting is when the brain is under an MRI scan and you say, my X, my eyes, my nose, my house, a certain part of the brain lights up. Except when you say myself, nothing lights up. His argument is that the left brain has created a pattern to call this notion of self, which really doesn't exist. Asking questions emanating from myself tend to be ego-related. Asking questions emanating from pure curiosity 
for the seeking of knowledge has different outcomes. And so I think there is a tool out there right now called ChatGPT that is going to favor the quality of the question. If I say, can you tell me what is the best, is an example, the best screen for these kinds of investments, that question will be too vague. If you say something like, I want to buy this stock, can you give me all the reasons I can't? I might get a completely different set of answers. So the quality of my, the quality of putting it in, in, in what we have been rewarded in the past is an investment process that says, I've got this funnel and I've got this screen. Maybe this might upend the investment process and say, if I go backwards from an outcome I want and then use my process to change my mind and my process being embedded in ChatGPT, I may come up with different solutions, which now gives me a competitive advantage to my competition because my process has reversed. And so now, whether I realize it or not, I've become contrarian. So that's examples I can think of off the top of my head. I, I think there is a tremendous value to let curiosity drive you to no purpose before you put a purpose. So just the sheer joy of acquiring information to then use that as a guide to the outcome. I really want mm. to know what's in Sam Altman's mind because I'm just curious because built this amazing tool. Hmm. After that, maybe I'll find out something about the tool that will help me in an investment decision. Rudy, that tripwired a few things. I was thinking about the James Webb telescope that has revealed to scientists, which I can't understand what the heck they're talking about, to be super clear. It's revealed to scientists that there are galaxies that have way more stars in them than the scientists ever thought and were formed way earlier than anyone ever thought. And it blows their minds about the ideas that they thought they could use as proxies for knowledge. And they're, well, some are probably scared about it, but some are like, oh my God, this is so cool. And I remember learning from some of the reading of Thich Nhat Hanh, he specifically would use the word understanding as opposed to knowledge, because knowledge sounds like it's, it's fixed, it's concrete. Understanding gives that space to keep thinking through, keep thinking through, keep thinking through. And Bryn, I was thinking about a lot of our educational system, and I'm not bashing here, has been over the last 150 years geared towards knowledge, not towards the development of that ability to keep understanding and pursue understanding and pursue understanding. So the training of constantly pursuing understanding, understanding whether you're an astronomer, whether you're an investor, et cetera, I don't think we're going to hit the end of the road there. 
And to bring it back to the history and future of asking questions, little chart that I drew, which is, I think, my favorite over the last 20 years of drawing silly little visuals, that hockey stick up, I'd say this is never ending. Like there's not a point where the humans will go, okay, I got it. We're done. We're good. Like, I don't think that point exists. And so we now have this new inside of something that's going straight up. We have a new straight up, which I do think is fascinating. It's also absolutely terrifying. But to Rudy's point, that ability and that ongoing ability to like effectively pursue understanding at the next level, at the next level. And I think that's just rap ratcheting up even more, Bryn. You know, there is a good check I carry out, which is when I find out I'm wrong, what's the feeling I get? When I'm happy that I'm wrong, I truly am curious. When I'm scared that I'm wrong, I go into a defensive mode. So in the world of chat GPT, my thoughts and prayers are, may you always be happy you're wrong. Because that gives you that inflection you were talking about, Pip. At this point, we're going to go into a few members of the community who sent in their thoughts on ChatGPT, but this first one will be from Rudy, and he had sent in a separate audio file, but then we ended up talking about it on the podcast, and I thought it was a little bit more alive, and so we'll start with Rudy's and then go on from there. I hope you enjoy it. You know, a very close friend of mine used ChatGPT to solve a seven-year-old problem relationship by putting all his texts and communication and said, help me draft a letter. And for the first time in three years, the other party responded after that note to the point where he built it up and they are back on at least talking terms. Oh, was that your thing? Yeah. That's good. Oh my God. I would have never thought of using emotion as a way to use chat GPT. So, I mean, we're going to hear story after story. We're learning fast on this. Goes back to your earlier point, you know, that person was probably able, you know, think how much the ego shuts down effective communication in a situation like that. He was able to just say, Hey, yeah. what would, what would repair that? My goal is to repair this relationship. I kind of know what I could do, but I don't know. I don't, my ego doesn't want to do it. <laughs> right. Can you just write it for me? And then I'd be fine sending it. <laughs> the use case for me, for where I truly understood the powers of ChatGPT and generative AI is when I took survey data uh, for a nonprofit that I'm involved in. I uploaded it into the uh, interface and I asked it to analyze over 20 different questions that had at least 50 answers for each of the individual questions, which would have taken hours upon hours. And I asked it to pull out the two or three bullets for each of the individual questions and then summarize the entire survey. I had that data within 15 seconds or so, whatever the number was. 
and it was absolutely more right than wrong when I went back through and went through most of it with myself. I mean, this is the first inning. The efficiency was amazing, and it was incredible with the results. Hi, Bryn. So on the question of using ChatGPT, as you might expect given what I do for a living, we've been diving quite deep on this technology. Uh, ironically, certainly with all the fear that's being generated in the mainstream media, I think generating original content is the least interesting thing that ChatGPT actually does. We've been surprised by how well it actually does analysis, summary, and finding things that aren't there. So for example, I uploaded a copy of my last book and then I asked ChatGPT to analyze it against the topic and tell me the things that I didn't cover but should have. Fascinating results. Another example is to upload the last 100 posts of my blog and have ChatGPT give me a style and editorial guide that matches my voice and tone, etc. Finally, we've been seeing some really interesting new ways to use ChatGPT with things like AutoGPT and TaskGPT, which give the engine the ability to go out and do things like surf the web and consume external links and documents. Now, you need some extra software to be able to do this, but for example, I can give ChatGPT a LinkedIn profile and ask it to compare it to similar LinkedIn profiles and detail the strengths and pain points of that particular person. Once you really start to understand that ChatGPT is really a predictability engine, so what it does well is to understand how to find patterns in language and predict what should come next, you really start to find out where you can start to really use it, and we're finding some really cool successes there. Hope that's what you're looking for. Talk soon. What surprised me at using ChatGPT was that it started very harmless putting some simple prompts in it and getting very inspiring answers and different organizations and enhancements of uh, writings and text uh, that I added to the prompt. And within two weeks, it has totally changed the way how I do BD, uh, outreach work, and also design work. And one month in, we're working on totally retooling our whole firm to implement AI elements from ChatGPT to MidJourney to many other ones. This is a revolution that is taking the world by storm.